0: Our opening words this morning are from Khalil Gibran, titled, The Astronomer. In the shadow of the temple, my friend and I saw a blind man sitting alone. And my friend said, behold, the wisest man of our land. Then I left my friend and approached the blind man and greeted him, and we conversed. After a while, I said, forgive my question, but since when has thou been blind? From my birth, he answered. Said I, and what path of wisdom followest thou? Said he, I am an astronomer. Then he placed his hand upon his breast, saying, I watch all these suns and moons and stars. I invite you now to join our guest musician this morning, who is really not a guest, but a friend, as always. We are so glad to have you with us, Lilo.
1: And please join me. So hard to mend this world that we live in. Oh, yes we can. Oh, yes we can. For we try so hard. that I will one day come, for some is already had, when I job will be well done, a good made out of bad, when the one who feels the joy We so hard to mend this world that we live in. Oh, yes, we can. One more time. Oh, oh yes, yes, we, we can. can. For we try so hard to mend this world that we live in. Oh, yes, we can.
2: Welcome, hooray. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Laura Solomon, I'm the clergy intern here. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about why this community is so important to us, and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for. We hope you'll join us after the platform service for coffee in the lobby and the social hall. And please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet found at the welcome table. You can drop that sheet in the collection basket as it passes later in the platform service. I want to invite you all to check in on social media and then remind you to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present with us this morning. This month we're using the candle lighting to spotlight Wes's groups related in some way to knowledge and wisdom. I'd like to call up Ann Baker and Roberta Geyer of the Wes Mindfulness Group. This group meets once a month and it provides a place to learn about meditation and mindfulness and practice it in a group setting with an experienced teacher. Anyone who is interested in creating more space and less reactivity in their head is welcome to, ca- to contact Ann or Trish Weil, the facilitators, or to just come to their meeting tomorrow night at 730. And now I invite Ann and Roberta to read our statement of purpose so we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. Hello. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence, and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you so much. We have our community candle lit. I invite you all to join me in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm thinking about the ways discussions about widespread diseases and health concerns help us to remember that we belong to each other. There are steps we can can take to protect one another and those around us who are most vulnerable. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and for our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Take a moment to settle in your seat. Take some deep breaths in and out. Allow yourself to arrive here in this place Bringing your own wisdom and the wisdom of the community around you. Breathe in and out. Once you've settled, start to think about a person or an animal that you love. Imagine they are right beside you. Feel as if you are sending them love like it is shining outwards from you and enveloping them. As you picture that being repeat to yourself May you be happy, may you be safe, may you be loved. Feel your connection with this loved one. May you be safe, may you be happy. May you be loved. Then think about someone, maybe a human, maybe an animal, who has shown you love and kindness. Feel your connection to them. Imagine them beside you, sending you love. As you picture that loved one, think, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be loved. Now take that light and let it spread further and further out Enveloping the people in this room, in this city, in this country, in the world. Take a breath and say to yourself, may we all feel happy, may we all be safe, may we all be loved.
1: Because we are rainbow. Human rainbow and when we blend and set together, then the world glow. we are different sizes and shape and color to make a rainbow. We need each other. I wonder how the world will see if we all look alike, if every kid had a purple skin and rolled a yellow bite a play for us to see that's why I'm glad you look like you and I look just like me cause we are rainbow a human rainbow and when we blend us together in the world globe, we are different sizes and shape and color to make a rainbow shoulder Afternoon, I love you in the evening and underneath the moon. Skinny Madinky, Skinny Madinky, too. I love you, yo te amo. Yo te amo. yo te amo. Yo te amo. what I need. you
0: favorite song of mine. It feels good to sing it together this morning. And Tom, thank you for always being ready to jump in on drums. Every time. This month, as March begins today, in fact, March 1st, we are exploring the theme of wisdom. Honestly, wisdom is kind of an intimidating theme for a preacher. You know, you already feel like you're supposed to say something relatively wise on Sundays, and then when it's really the whole thing you're supposed to be doing, it's particularly an intimidating theme in a tradition where every person searching for their own truth is kind of the hallmark of what we do here. That said, one of my favorite synonyms for a spiritual life, or an ethical life, Um, actually a phrase from a West member is a life wisely lived, a life wisely lived. And so I'm hoping that over the next month we're going to be exploring the idea of wisdom as separate from and different from knowledge, or perhaps even separate from or different from truth. I think you're going to hear a little bit from Laura about that next week as we think about what is true and not true and wise and not wise. The aspect of wisdom that I find particularly interesting and wanted to explore together this morning is the idea of collective wisdom. The idea that two heads are better than one, right? That we're all going to put on our thinking caps together. Or, of course, from the classic Lego movie, everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Come on, you guys. Everything is awesome when you're living a dream. I cannot believe more people did not sing that with me. I'm a little bit offended. I assume it's because I sang it so beautifully that you didn't want to rain on my parade. Uh, we will say, in the, in the movie, um, that song, which I find very catchy and am known to occasionally sing in the office, um, possibly to the chagrin of the rest of the staff, um, that song about teamwork and working together, building a world with each other, is, um, is created within the, the Lego movie universe um, to be catchy because it's created by a fascist dictator um, uh, named President Business. What's that? It's it's Lord Business. Well, he's going by President Business at that point. He does have aspirations to become Lord Business later. That's that's correct. Yeah, moving along in the in the fascist dictatorship. Um, so uh, so yeah. So so it's not an ideal situation um, within the the um, Lego Movie universe in particular. This idea of everything being better if you're part of a team. But I wanted to. To untangle that a little bit, I, I got interested in the concept of what's known as hive mind about a year ago. I took a class, was actually about fighting white nationalism and, um, and as part of the class, we looked at the idea of collective wisdom and of hive mind. Um, in the class, the example given was flying on an airplane where we trust to hive mind. No single person knows how to build the plane physically and also knows how to fly the plane and also knows how to manage multiple planes in airspace and to control them and also knows how to get people down the runway and also knows how to fit their legs into the space in front of them. Nobody knows that, actually, it turns out. But the rest of flying some person or some group of people knows how to do each one of those things. And so when we step into a metal tube and um, allow it to transport us many, many thousands of feet into the sky, we are trusting to the hive mind. We are trusting that each person knew the thing they were supposed to, and that added all up, we are in a safe contraption. So I got curious about this concept of hive mind and looked a little further. I actually found a definition of it. Hive mind is, and I quote, uh, from mm, the dictionary online, I guess, <clears throat> a no, uh, probably created by a hive mind actually, a notional entity consisting of a large number of people who share their knowledge or opinions with one another, regarded as producing either uncritical conformity or collective intelligence. To be clear, I am most interested in the collective intelligence part and not the uncritical conformity. But I do feel as though the idea of hive mind gets kind of a bad rap. And it perhaps especially gets a bad rap in the world that I find myself frequently swimming in. Um, For me, it's most often the Facebook world, which which I find to be a place in which everybody needs to have their own personal take on whatever is happening. Someone will post what I think seems like a perfectly great article, and and then someone else will post a slightly different take on that perfectly great article, and so on, and so on, and so on. Everybody has something to say. Somewhat ironically maybe for a person whose entire job is assuming that people will want to hear what I personally have to say for 20 to 25 minutes about once every week or so, I actually resist a little bit the idea that any one of us has something particularly special to share. Sometimes when I'm preparing a platform, I'll ask colleagues for sermons or platforms that they've created. But I have to be really careful about that because I will occasionally read one and just say basically, oh, but this person already said it all perfectly. Why am I bothering getting up there to add another voice to a conversation that clearly is complete, is closed? So in a a world where the individual opinion seems to be elevated, where we are worried about all thinking the same, what does it mean for hive mind to be that better thing? Not the uh, uncritical conformity, but rather the collective intelligence that allows us to get into a plane. I uh, recently went down and participated in a Darwin Day um, a celebration in florida with the Suncoast humanists and i got to hear um, dr douglas mann who's a uh, now retired medical school professor and evolutionary biologist and um and dr mann talked about um, sort of evolution and the evolution of morality and he began with um, the very first sort of Um, life forms that moved, right? I I, I think you would call them the very first animals, right, moving away from plants. but And then kind of continued on. And and he showed us the the times when evolution made a huge leap, right, Um, starting from the very beginning. And he had sort of three or four different sections where evolution made this huge leap. And one of the biggest leaps was the advent of social insects. Social insects are like ants and bees and wasps, insects that work together, um, where the word hive mind comes from, right, a bee or a wasp's hive. Insects that work together to um, create whatever it is that they need within their community and that have differentiated roles, right, like the queen bee or the worker bee, etc. I've watched A Bug's Life, so I'm an expert on those. And um, perhaps you are as well. and, and what he said, this was amazing to me. Apparently, um, so first of all, he sees this as one of the huge leaps toward morality, right? That ultimately ending in Homo sapiens and our capacity for uh, complex moral judgments, moral rule creation within communities, etc. All of that started, in his opinion, with these social insects. And then he shared that, that social insects make up a very small percentage of the types Of insects that there are in the world so if you lined up all the different kinds of bugs out there a very small number of them would be of the kind that are social insects however the number of insects that are social insects is a much larger percentage of the total number of bugs that exist did that Did I explain that clearly enough? The types, the very small percentage, the actual quantity of buggies out there are very high um, percentage of social insects. And, And so what he was saying is that's because it's effective to be social, right? It's effective to create roles and to work together and to trust that the worker bees are doing what the worker bees need to do, and the queen bee is doing what the queen bee needs to do, and the nursery bees, aren't there nursery bees, are doing what the nursery bees need to do, right? It's effective and increases the chance of survival and spreading, et cetera, of the species, which is why it was such a big uh, leap evolutionarily um, when social insects came on the scene. Colum McCann uh, wrote recently an article for The Guardian, Um, Colin McCann is a a researcher and has a book coming out. The article um, was titled, The Sky's the Limit, Why Together We're Greater Than the Sum of Our Parts. And he talks about this same concept, um, what Dr. Mann was referring to as kind of the social insects. Uh, McCann talks about the principle of emergence. The principle of emergence, he wrote, states that a multitude of any number of living things, neurons, bacteria, ants, can exhibit properties way beyond the capability of any one individual. Flocking birds can display emergent qualities, wheeling across the sky in seamless formations. I'm sure you have seen those. They're they're called murmurations, when those birds move as one. Honeybees, that was an editorial comment. We're back to McCann. Honeybees become so much more startling when they work in unison. Groups of people possess intelligence, or indeed stupidity and violence, that's that uh, uncritical conformity part, far greater than the sum of our parts. McCann goes on to take this idea of emergence, of hive mind, of collective intelligence, into the realm of storytelling. Storytelling, he says, can exhibit the possibility of emergence. And in this fractious day and age, sharing our stories might be one of the only things that can save us. McCann ended up co-founding a project connecting primarily black teens in the Bronx with white teens in rural Appalachia through personal storytelling. He writes in the article about how the teens originally, when they got together via, I think, Zoom and then in-person gatherings, didn't even have a framework for being able to talk to each other. And both groups were nervous to start the conversation, nervous about what the other group would have to say to them. Over the course of training around storytelling, these two groups began building trust with each other and understanding more deeply what each experienced. As McCann writes, in these cataclysmic times, the new reality is constant dislocation. We don't really have a single place in which we can remain. We are essentially threatened with a sense of moral homelessness. And yet at the core of it all, one thing remains constant. We have a need to tell our stories. What needs to change is our ability to listen to and engage with the stories of those we don't necessarily know or even like. It begins in our own backyards, McCann writes, and then spreads outward. Often we come up against the notion, especially from the marginalized, that our own narratives don't matter. But inside the principle of emergence, everything matters. This idea of storytelling as the way to connect people across borders and boundaries, and to build that emergence that leads us to greater collective wisdom. It brings to mind for me a favorite Rumi poem, which begins, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about ideas, language, even the phrase, each other, doesn't make any sense. That field beyond right doing and wrong doing, where even the phrase, each other, doesn't make any sense. To me, that concept is so core to ethical culture They're coming together in relationship and mutuality to understand each other more deeply. I remember hearing about one ethical society that when they light their community candle in the morning, lights two little candles because two is the smallest number in ethics. We cannot be ethical all by ourselves. We need another person to be in relationship with to be storytelling with, to be connected to. That field in Rumi's poem brings to mind another field for me, one where collective wisdom becomes, I think, collective sharing. So this is an old story um, that is told out of the rabbinic tradition, although there's no specific provenance that can be named for it. The story tells of two brothers whose father died and left them all that he owned. And so the brothers divided it evenly between them and began caring for their halves of the field. One brother lived alone, never married or had children, and the other brother was married and had a large family. Well, this went along for some time, and then finally one day, the brother with the large family after working in the field and harvesting, woke up in the middle of the night, disquiet. He thought to himself, this is not fair. When I die, or when I, when I get old, I will have all my children to take care of me. And my brother is all alone. I should give him some of my harvest so that he will have more as he ages. And so in the middle of the night, he gathered up some of his harvest and he snuck across the field and put it into his brother's barn and snuck back. Shortly thereafter, his brother woke up in the middle of the night, disquieted. This is not fair, he thought to himself. I have only myself to feed, but my brother has a large family to take care of. I should give him some of my harvest so that he will be able to feed them. And so he picked up some of his harvest, snuck across the field in the middle of the night, and deposited it in his brother's barn. On the morning, of course, the brothers woke up and went into their own barns and saw that they still had the same amount of grain, although they were sure that they had each separately snuck some over to the other brother. They did the same thing that night, this brother sneaking some over in the middle of the night and Shortly after, the brother here, who lived alone, sneaking a little bit to his brother's barn, and again in the morning, they woke up and found that they had the same amount of grain. Finally, the third night, the brothers woke up at just the same time, and so as they snuck the grain to each other, they met in the middle of the field, Their arms around each other, they fell down weeping in joy at their shared caring for each other. And the story goes that that is where the great temple in Jerusalem was built, on the site of the brothers coming together. Their awareness that not only might they have collective wisdom, but they had a collective life together. They were responsible for each other. I think about that story very often when I think about us here at the Ethical Society, both about how we make decisions together, how we bring many minds in for one decision, and, and also how we care for each other, how we sneak our grain across the field to care for the person that we think might need it more. I think about that especially, of course, during pledge season, which we've just started, <laughs> when those of us who have more grain in our barns are able to bring it for the collective care of the community. Every year we have some conversation about, you know, parents of children in the SEEK program needing to know how much it costs to run the SEEK program and the, the um, Sunday Ethical Education for Kids program, and, and then every year we have a conversation where we think to ourselves, but no, that program is the program for all of us. Whether we have a child in that program or not, all of us bring what grain we can from our barns, bigger or little bundles, depending on our capacity, to care for this next generation of ethical agents out in the world. We are collectively responsible for each other, as we are able, so that each of us has enough, just like the brothers in the field. I think about that idea as well with so many of our partnerships here, I think in particular about our partnership with El Rodeo, the community in El Salvador, um, where we have been connected for. Oh, 10 or 11 years now. When West started that partnership with El Rodeo, we wanted to use a community capacity building model, which meant that the first several years were really about getting to know each other, about building relationship, rather than building a building or building a well. We have now been able to work with El Rodeo and many other partners to create um, the possibility of, and it's now turned on, a solar-powered, clean water mechanism to bring water up to people's homes for the first time in El Rodeo. And that project, I know, is so much better because it took longer and more people because all of the wisdom of the community and of this community and of other partners at Rotary and elsewhere came together to create a project better than we could have figured out on our own in the first year. We might have known in year one that water was a priority, but it was the working together that helped us to get to the final finished project. There's a phrase that I have often heard quoted, if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, go together. Cory Booker used that phrase at the 2016 Democratic National Convention and um, cited it as an African proverb. A lot of things are cited as African proverbs. Africa, FYI, is a large continent with many countries and cultures, so I did a little digging. (laughs) There's an NPR article ironically titled, It Takes a Village to Determine the Origins of an African Proverb. (laughs) No one has been able to locate, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, go together in any particular country or people within the large continent of africa but janetta cole the director of the smithsonian national museum of african art does believe that it resonates at the very least with what she calls the spirit of some african cultures and feels as though she hears it within the circles where she travels cole writes the africanist perspective is more about community it's more about collaboration i'm so sorry I I put the, that's Neil Lester, a humanities professor at Arizona State University who said that. The Africanist perspective is more about community. It's more about collaboration. It's less about what we can do individually. The essence of the proverb, Lester writes, speaks to a certain worldview that challenges Western individualism. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I will say that there are times when I think, maybe I would actually rather just go fast. I I sometimes think that about hour two of membership meetings or committee meetings. I think maybe maybe we'll just send one person to make this decision right now and just get it all done. And and there are moments for that. And yet every time that I have brought more people into a decision-making process, I have been glad I did. I think in particular right now about the hiring teams that are working both on our music director hire and our director of lifelong learning hire. The wisdom that is created by bringing people into those circles, each one of them experiencing something different as we talk with folks interested in the positions. More brains brings more wisdom, but also more experiences and more perspectives widening our understanding of even what the world is. Sometimes, too, the collective, the hive, is not so much about wisdom, but about capacity. I have heard it said that social justice work, particularly in the moment in which we find ourselves, as we look at so many seemingly giant problems in the world around us. That social justice work is certainly not a sprint, and perhaps not even a marathon, but rather a relay race. Each one of us going as far as we can and handing off the baton while we rest so that someone else can pick it up for a little while. I find that metaphor so helpful, especially when I simply cannot do one more meeting this week, because I know somebody else can do that meeting, and will bring a wisdom that I wouldn't have, and that they'll be able to pass the baton back to me, and so on, and so on, and so on, as we go through the weeks and months. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Peter and I are working our way through the Marvel universe. <clears throat> We're on Guardians of the Galaxy right now. We just finished the first one last night. There's a character in Guardians of the Galaxy um, called Groot. He's a um, gigantic tree. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, seen Groot. He's a gigantic tree um, from a, an ancient and wise people, and I think that's about all we know about him, um, somewhere far off in the universe. He can grow, and he's incredibly strong, and also really sweet and the only words he can say in English um, are I am Groot. His best friend can translate so knows exactly what he's saying at all times but from the film goers perspective he only says I am Groot in response to everything. I actually read an article that um, the actor who voiced Groot was given a special script known only to him which has the Um, language, the words that Groot is supposed to be saying internally. But here we are all through the film. It's a running joke, of course. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot in response to any number of things. Toward the end of that movie there is a, not surprisingly, highly climactic, action-full, many-explosions sequence. I don't think I'm giving away spoilers there. (laughs) It's a Marvel Universe movie. (laughs) Groot makes a decision to care for his teammates, the other guardians of the galaxy. And one of his teammates asks him why. Rocket, the tiny genetically modified raccoon. Typical. He asks him why he's doing this. And for the first time, Groot uses different language. We are Groot, he says, as he reaches out to care for the people he has come to know as friends. That, to me, is at the heart of hive mind, of collective wisdom, and also of the kind of caring and support that we create for each other here in the city, in the country, and the world. It's the moment where we realize that I am Groot is not enough, that instead we are Groot. We are Groot, just like the bees working together and the ants on the ant farm. We make a leap in our moral evolution when we see the greater wisdom of our life together.
1: We have grandmas and grandpas in our hand. We have mamas and papas. In our head. we have a whole world. i
2: take time during our service to offer our own voices into the morning. If you have something to share, please raise your hand, and I will come to you with a microphone. And I invite you to, to think about a time when you were wiser because you made a decision in community, a we are Groot decision, if you will. <laughs> please raise your hand as you're ready.